On today's episode, Anna shares the incredible survival story of Scott Johnston and Sean Farmer, a chilling account of a camping trip gone wrong. Welcome to Crime Bar. Ashley, welcome to season three. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And, um, and welcome to you. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Um, like I was saying earlier, it's very important to put a voice slash name to a face. So I think it's good for us to yeah. say, hey, I'm Anna. Oh, and I'm Ashley. And she's Ashley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's Anna. So I don't know if you were and able to guess. Well, yeah. It was who? But I'm um, very happy to be here, and it's our first video. I mean, kind of first video. Yeah, I mean, we did try it. When did we do it? Like a year ago, if not more. A, more than a year ago. Oh, I remember when we did it. Yeah. Remember the day that we did it? What happened? Kobe. Yeah, Kobe. Kobe passed away. Yeah. Our phones are on airplane mode. Yeah. And when we took them off, immediately get citizen alert apps. And your mom, I think your mom had yeah. texted you too. I feel like a few people did. Yeah. And like horrific news. Yeah. So it's been a so year, it's been, yeah. more than a year. It's been more than a year. Yeah. And we didn't do it for a while. We started with just audio because of our stage fright. It was a combination of stage fright and COVID. then COVID. We couldn't actually be safely together to do it. So we just did audio for a couple of seasons, but video was the plan all along. So yeah. and here we are have arrived and now we're uh we're what do you call it um we're showbiz experts now mm. so we'll be ready to be on cam mm-hmm. so are you gonna oh. drink while you tell the story i think i should and i think i have to i'll okay. take little gulp breaks okay in between paragraphs okay uh what are you doing today what story i am telling you i don't mean like what are your plans for later i mean hanging like- out with literally you all day <laughs> um I'm going to tell you the incredible survival story of Scott Johnston and Sean Farmer. Okay. Amazing. I don't know that. But I do love survival stories. Me too. And I thought that it was nice. I mean, it's not an upbeat story for a few reasons, but it's nice to start season three with a survival story, in my opinion. Yeah. (sighs) I'm going to dive right in. My heart is racing. Why? I don't know. I feel like a thousand people are watching me right now. No one is watching you right now. Just our video editor. (laughs) They're going to. Okay. Scott Johnston and Sean Farmer were no strangers to the woods along Virginia's Dismal Creek. The two men had been going since they were little boys. Trips generally consisted of campfires, fishing, and just enjoying the peacefulness of the woods. The good, simple stuff. Where was that? This is in the Appalachian, on the Appalachian Trail. This is Virginia. Virginia's Dismal Creek. Okay. To be specific. Okay. Unfortunately, did this... you say that and I wasn't listening? Yeah. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Ashley's not awake yet. 
And we drink wine, so. Unfortunately, this particular camping trip for Sean and Scott would take a very dark turn. It was May 6, 2008. Scott was the first to arrive to the campsite. His day started out pleasant and completely ordinary. He was at one of his favorite places in the world, and he had great luck fishing that day. He had caught six large trouts. I'm no fisherman, but that sounds like a very successful day to me. I would say even one. Even one's one good. One small trout for sure would be a success in my opinion. Because six large? Yeah. Good for Scott. Mm-hmm. He was driving his truck when he first spotted a gaunt man and his dog. Gaunt? Gaunt. Skinny. Skinny, hollow-cheeked. Like no, me neither. I'm not a fan of gaunt men. Mm-mm. Unless you can't help it, all men are beautiful. <laughs> okay. We love all bodies here. <laughs> sure. Yeah, okay. We're, we're inclusive. Yeah, I'm being okay. He immediately noticed that the dog was starving because his ribs were jutting out. Oh. Scott stopped his truck to talk to the stranger. The man starts ranting about the fact that he hadn't been able to catch a single fish and he was complaining about how the creek must have been empty. And out of course, of, he just caught six large I trout. Know. This guy's like, I don't think you're very good, if yeah. anything. Out of the kindness of Scott's heart, he reaches in back to his box where he kept the fish that he had caught that day. He handed the man a few because he felt bad for him. The stranger was very appreciative of this gesture and struck up a conversation. He asked Scott if he was planning on setting up camp somewhere nearby. Scott nods and points to the area. He told the man that his friend would actually be joining him later that day and that he was just waiting around for him to show up. The stranger said that he just so happened to be camping in the same direction mm-hmm. and offered to stop by later when he was on his way back. Just vol- volunteers like, a pot by. For what? <laughs> I know. To be friends? Instant friendship. Scott thought nothing of it and nodded that this was totally fine and he drove off. In his eyes, he just looked like a completely normal camper. Nothing threatening or out of the ordinary. It felt like a completely normal exchange. Other than him and his dog clearly starving. Yes, and him saying, I'm going to pop by and hang out with you guys later. You didn't invite me, but I'm stopping. Yeah. Scott set up his campsite approximately a mile, a mile and a half from the Appalachian Trail's Wapiti Shelter. He was gathering firewood when his good friend, Sean Farmer, arrived. Scott proceeded to set up his own tent before he decided to sit down and relax for a bit. He tensed up a little when he noticed a complete stranger walking straight up to the campsite. I'm not sure if the stranger noticed his discomfort, but he immediately introduced himself as Ricky Williams, and he mentioned that he had met Scott earlier that day. When Scott returned back to the site, he saw his friend and the stranger from earlier chatting. Soon enough, they were cooking trout and beans and invited Ricky to stay for dinner. They were kind enough to cook an extra trout for the dog. Oh, very sweet. They noticed that Ricky was in absolutely no rush to get back to his camp, and he was taking a sweet time eating and chatting. It had been three hours at this point, and it was now dark. Ricky was going on and on about the fact that he had attended Virginia Tech and that he had even written a paper for NASA. The two guys didn't believe a single word that was coming out of his mouth. Oh, I was... You, you bought that? I, I was like, wow. Go Ricky. Yeah. 
as they listened to his elaborate stories, they just started to assume that he was an alcoholic and maybe he had been kicked out of his home by his wife or something. Okay. But regardless of what this guy's deal was, they were very uncomfortable about the fact that he clearly couldn't read a room and he was not leaving to go home. Oh, I hate that. Oh, nothing I I hate more. Mouth breathing and can't read a room. Two of my least favorite things. Eventually, it was pitch black and the strange man finally stood up to go home. He told his dog to come with him. It was all so casual that they almost thought nothing of the fact that he strolled right behind the guys and suddenly reached into his pocket. In that moment, he took the 22 caliber gun out of his camouflage pocket and began to shoot. The first shot hit Sean in the temple. Oh. Yeah, first shot. The next moment, Ricky turns around and shot Scott in the neck. Immediately after, he turns back towards Sean, shoots him straight in the chest. Oh. Blood was streaming into his eyes and everything around him was spinning. Even though he had just been shot in the temple and chest, he did not collapse. A tank. Wow. (laughs) As soon as Ricky's eyes turned away from him, Scott began sprinting towards the woods. As he was running away, Ricky shot him in the back. At the very, at the nape of his neck. Oh, he had. That's n- not his back. That's no. That's his like neck. That's like a, a key. A key yeah. part. Yeah. It's it's a, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's a key, key part, part of the body. Yeah. <laughs> he had now been shot in the neck and the back and was hiding behind the trees. He was trying his hardest to catch his breath and get a grip of what was happening to him. I mean, how can you do that? How can you? The pain, the panic, catch your breath, in the shock of it all. Yeah, this is like the the survival story that I did with that young couple like I don't understand how in the heat of the moment like you can't think clearly I can't think clearly when nothing is happening just because of anxiety yeah I cannot imagine this no all the while while all this is happening they're panicking because he doesn't know if his friend was dead or alive at this point oh while Scott was hiding Sean made his way to his truck that was parked about five yards away The panic of not knowing whether or not the shooter was following him was overwhelming. Of course. Everything is dark except for the light coming from the campfire. Sean is able to make out the shadow of someone slowly creeping up to the side of his truck. The shooter stood directly next to the driver's side door and raised up his arm to shoot. When he pulled the trigger, the gun didn't fire. When Sean realized that the man had run out of ammunition and needed to reload, he knew he had to get out of there and get help. He slammed his foot on the gas pedal and floored it. When Scott saw the light coming from the headlights and heard the engine, he knew he needed to run as fast as he could to jump in. Sean pushed the truck door open and his friend jumped in. Scott was trying his best to put pressure on the bullet wound in his neck as blood was squirting everywhere. He knew that he would bleed to death if he didn't apply pressure with his fingers. Their nightmare was far from over. As they are speeding for help, blood gushing and flooding into their eyes, they struggle to remain conscious. The winding road was already dangerous in the dark as is. Yeah. They had to be very careful of drop-offs that ranged from 10 feet to 30 feet. The closest hospital was 30 miles away and they knew getting there would be their only chance of survival. Oh. And 30 miles, I mean, 
in your head, it's like, okay, that's 30 minutes, but on a winding road when, you know, the whatever, it's 20 miles when per you're hour. you're bleeding out. Yeah, there's no choice but to go slow around yeah. those curves. And twisty mountain roads are difficult enough in the broad daylight and peak physical condition. Mm -hmm. And the panic, pain, and blood loss made navigating the road safely almost impossible. Yeah. Scott was screaming, stop, stop, over and over again as he tried to get Sean to slow down. Scott took the fingers from his neck to help him steer, only causing more blood to squirt everywhere. Oh. Sean had a bullet in his head and was slipping out of consciousness, his hands barely able to grip the steering wheel. As they make their way around every turn, struggling to stay alive, the car slams right into an embankment. In that moment, Scott tells Sean that he needs to stay on the road. This is a matter of life and death. They have been shot and they need to stay safely on the road or they will die. Like on foot? Is that what he means? I guess to reverse the car and get back on the road. But basically he's just, he can barely see. He's going as fast as he can to get to help. You know, his friend's been shot. He's afraid that both of them are going to die. Mm. But if they go off the side or slam into the mountain, they're also screwed. So his friend is basically telling him, slow down. We've got this. We'll do this together. Time moved agonizingly slow. Yeah. The 30 miles felt like an eternity. Finally, a bit of hope crept in when they spotted the first house. The house was under construction and the hope disappeared. They kept driving and finally spotted a second house. When they saw that the lights were on, they parked the truck and Scott ran to the front door. He yelled, begging for the people inside to call 911, saying over and over again that he and his friend had been shot. Melissa Miller, her son, and his grandfather were inside and they thought it was a home invasion at first. When she saw the bloody men, clearly desperate for help, she calls 911. Her son rushes inside to grab them towels. When her son came outside with the towels, he recognized Sean immediately because he had actually dated one of his friends. What? Very small world. They pressed the wet towels against their wounds while they waited for the ambulance to come. 20 minutes passed. 20 excruciating minutes of soaking through towels and hoping that they would be able to see their loved ones again. It was 9.30 p.m. when Scott called his parents. He was scared that he wouldn't make it and that he would never be able to speak to them again. His mother, Thelma, picked up the phone and she said that her son informed her that they had been shot and that he was more worried about his friend than himself. The ambulance arrived and a police officer followed. The officer tried questioning Sean, but he was unable to respond because of the intense swelling in his mouth. He later said that his mouth felt like it was stuffed with golf balls. Oh. Scott gave a description of the shooter. He said that he was gaunt and had gray hair. When the grandfather heard this description from inside the house, he immediately thought of a particular individual. It sounded like a man named Randall Lee Smith. He told his grandson to run to the grocery store and to grab the photo of the missing person. Randall had gone missing six weeks prior, so there were flyers being handed out all around town. Oh. Like, what are the chances you hear gray hair gaunt man? Oh, it's Randall. Yeah, well. Must be a small town. Yes, yeah. clearly it's very small. When Randy showed up with the flyer, he showed the picture to Scott and asked if this was the man that shot him. Scott replied, I am 100% sure that that's the man. Mm. 
the shooter had given them a fake name, clearly. And he yeah, was not Ricky Williams. <laughs> His name was Randall Lee Smith. Okay. The plan was to airlift the two men to a hospital, but the medical personnel immediately realized that Sean was too big to fit inside of their helicopter. He was 6'4 and 325 pounds. He was basically built like a football player. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I don't remember what, like where we were or what it was. It was some type of field trip to like, I don't know, like a, an, oh, it was like an airfield oh, okay. or something. Yeah. And they had like emergency vehicles and one of them was a helicopter that you like pick up individuals yeah, like this. In. Yeah. And it's um like the, so if you're transporting a patient, someone yes. injured or sick or whatever, they are, are obviously on a gurney mm-hmm. and um, they have like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like this little tiny cubby you're like that slid literally into. you're slid into this space, like yeah. the gurney. And so I remember like as kids, we got to crawl into it mm-hmm. and you can't like you are forced to completely lay down. So then whatever the paramedic or whatever it is, whoever's with you yeah. is also like laying, laying down, down with you. Yeah. That's interesting. So basically how did, did you, were you a snug fit when you slid in there? Literally all of the kids were. That is insane to me yeah. because this guy is massive. Like he is, he is a tank of a person. I'm not oh. saying, I'm just saying he is built like mm-hmm. very muscular, very, very big boned. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's no shock to me. Yeah. They were forced to think very fast and taken by ambulance to a hospital 20 miles away in Withville mm. where a larger helicopter would be able to pick him up. Oh, okay. As Sean was in the helicopter and blood was coming out of his mouth, he recalls, I hear a lady say over the radio, I'm not sure he's going to make it. And then I'm thinking again, I might be dead and just might not know it. Can you imagine anything worse than hearing that? He said that he overheard her say that he didn't have a pulse and he wondered himself again if he was dead. The second the helicopter landed and he felt the cold air blast against his body, he felt instant relief and happiness. He just kept telling himself to hang on. So they he, they weren't talking about him then? They were saying that he didn't have a pulse, but I don't, I mean. So they were talking about him. They were ta- he was hearing people talk about him when they said this. So I don't wow. know if it's just like the, the, the panic of it and they didn't read that right, but that's what he overheard hmm. according to the article that I read. Okay. When the men arrived at the hospital in Roanoke, they were immediately rushed into surgery. According to Scott Johnston's doctor, the bullet in his neck missed his corroded artery by one millimeter. Wow. I had to Google how small that was, just for like reference. Yeah. That's the thickness of a driver's license or a credit card. (gasps) That thickness, one millimeter away from bleeding out in minutes and dying. The bullet in his back was only about a quarter inch or less from his spine. Wow. Doctors could not remove the bullet because it would just be, I mean, too risky, too dangerous. Yeah. To this day, that bullet is still in his body. What? Yeah. And the same thing applied to Sean. He still has a bullet in his rib area as well as shrapnel that he can supposedly feel. When Sean was shot in the head, the bullet somehow just bounced around in there. And didn't cause any brain damage. It just ricocheted around. And it's supposedly still in there. And like a doctor made a joke or he made a joke to a doctor that if, you know, one day he like blows his nose, could it just come out? Yeah. Apparently, yes. What? Yeah. Apparently just like pieces of that bullet can come out, but it's too risky, obviously, to go in there and 
and take it out. Nuts. I don't understand the luck of any of this. Wow. I don't understand anything. The medical field. I don't either. Our bodies and things like that. I don't Nothing whatsoever. I don't understand. These, I mean, when I read that, I was like, these guys have to be superhuman. I mean, that's not, I mean, the I luck mean, of I that. I mean, I think they're like just super lucky. That's true. I just like kept thinking, I'm like, I have to go lay down if I eat a meal that's too large. <laughs> like these guys were getting shot in the head, neck and chest, and they're still alive to tell this story. Yeah. So while all of this is happening, Ricky Williams, AKA Randall Lee Smith, was still in the woods above Dismal Creek. He had stolen Scott's truck and drove off. Later that evening, a police officer spotted Randall in the stolen car. As soon as Randall saw the cop, he sped off and ended up driving off of the road and flipping the car. When Lieutenant Hamlin arrived on the scene, Randall was still in the upside down vehicle. He flashed a light across his face and said that Randall had the coldest eyes that he had ever seen. Mm. And he had been in law enforcement for over 30 years. And I'm gonna send you, I'm gonna show you this picture really that, quick. That sounds spooky. Oh, a picture of him? Yeah. And I don't like to judge looks, but this guy we can go ahead and just roast. <gasps> oh, oh, he's scary. Doesn't he look like he died a hundred years ago? Yeah. It's upsetting. So oh, his eyes are scary. Very scary. And and he is very gaunt. <laughs> he's very, very gaunt. Yeah. And like I looked at, I had to look at um, the age of what, of what he was in that photo. He's only 54. But in he looks that like photo? that. Yes, he's only 54 and he looks like he's 120. He literally looks like he's in his 90s. Yeah, he looks like he's about to pass. Oh my um, gosh. Pretty nuts. But I guess he's been living in the woods. He hasn't been, he has had no luck fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. The guy yeah. needs nutrients. Yeah. Randall Lee Smith was arrested and taken in for questioning. He denied ever shooting anybody. When pressed further, he said, well, if I did, it wasn't my gun, it was theirs. Okay. I like love a man that can take accountability. Uh, Sarcasm. Um, (laughs) Just so you know. The police found this secret little trove in the woods that was full of evidence. Randall had hidden a pair of Scott's sunglasses, meat cleavers, something like 20 knives, and some very bizarre notes. One of the notes had this prayer written on it, and it went like this. Hail to the guardians of the Watchtower of the North, by the powers of mother and earth, hear me. Show me thy glory. I invoke thee, O ancient one. Sounds very Game of Thrones. I didn't understand anything about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the police were able to connect these prayers to Wicca. And Wicca mm-hmm. is also referred to as pagan witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Those who follow the religion worship nature and practice witchcraft. When a retired deputy sheriff named Tom Lawson heard about the shooting, he got this strange feeling in his gut. This attack on Sean and Scott was very similar to a murder he had investigated many years before, like decades. Okay. A shooting that had involved other hikers many years before using the same kind of gun. Oh. A 22 caliber revolver. He just knew that there had to be a connection. Now we're going to go back to the time of that murder oh, yeah, on okay. May of 1981. Okay. Two social workers named Susan Ramsey and Robert Mountford were spending the day hiking the Appalachian Trail. Their campsite was located very close to where Scott and Sean camped years later. While the campers slept, Randall Lee Smith snuck inside and murdered them. First, he shot Robert in the head, and somehow the bullet did not penetrate his skull. What? I, I don't understand what this guy's gun is. 
he's shooting people in the head and they're not and then and then it's not penetrating or do i don't i don't, I don't understand this so what are the odds what are the odds so robert gets shot in the head but he's able to get up and he runs away and that is when he is shot a second time in the cheek that bullet traveled up into his brain killing him randall then turns to susan as she tries to run away as he starts to chase her he grabs one of those like wrought iron fireplace pokers and a very large spiked nail the police found susan inside of her sleeping bag partially covered by leaves she had been stabbed multiple times in the chest and hit on the back of her head with a blunt object the murder weapons were found on the scene robert was nowhere to be found the next day search dogs were brought to the campsite one of the dogs was able to locate robert's body at the base of a tree the gun used to kill him was never found so now the police have two dead bodies two of the murder weapons and a town full of horrified people there was a ton of pressure to solve this case and to find the vile individual that committed these crimes yeah there was only one piece of forensic evidence found and it was a bloody fingerprint on susan ramsey's book this single fingerprint offered a little bit of hope but unfortunately, it couldn't do much if they didn't have any suspects to match the print to. Yeah. Weirdly enough, weeks after the murder, something completely unrelated happened, but it got Tom Lawson's attention. And he just couldn't help but feel like the two incidents were somehow related. Yeah. They're just like too bizarre and too yeah. close together. A local man was reported missing. And when the police searched his truck, they found a note. And this note claimed that the man had been kidnapped. They ran his plates and discovered that the truck belonged to a man named Randall Lee Smith. Okay. Somehow police were able to find out that the whole kidnap note was actually written by Randall himself. Okay. And it was just all very fishy. So the police department starts interviewing people that knew him. And based off of everything that they learned, he was shy and didn't have any friends. Who reported him missing? Do you know? Do not know. It did not say. Okay. One man told the police that Randall's nickname was LR, which stood for Lion Randall. Terrible nickname to have. Lion? Lion Randall. Like lying, but without the G. Lion oh, Randall. Oh, Lion. I thought, I thought you meant like the animal. Lion. <laughs> lion. Oh, no. Not that majestic. Just he lies. Okay. Lion and, Randall. Yep. Okay. And it turns out that that nickname fit him very well because that note stating that he had been kidnapped was just one of his many lies. Yeah. He had simply left town and driven to South Carolina. Just drawing unnecessary attention to himself after committing a crime. I'm, I'm happy he did. I'm happy he did, but stupid. But Anyways, stupid. when Tom Lawson tracked Randall down, he made an interesting discovery. When you walked out of the back door of Randall's home, you could easily make your way to the Appalachian Trail in a few short minutes. The murder scene was simply a short walk away. Then Tom Lawson found witnesses. There were hikers that had seen Randall Lee Smith with Susan Ramsey the day that she was murdered. Not only that, they found a hiker that had been with Susan when she purchased the book that had had the bloody fingerprint on it. Oh. Tom knew Randall was the killer, so now all they had to do was prove it. They compared the bloody fingerprint from the book to Randall, and it was a match. Randall Lee Smith was arrested and charged for the 1981 Appalachian Trail murders. Wow. So they like got their guy and you would think that this is a done deal. Oh, nope. wait. 
So he was arrested in 1981. Yes. So this oh, is for Susan Ramsey they, and Robert. Oh, so he was arrested at the time for that. I thought you yes. were connecting it to um, Sean and... Um, no. no, no, no. Same guy, different decade. So this oh. was for the first murders that he had committed. I totally misunderstood. I thought you were saying they solved a cold case from the 80s after no. this No, 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 no. This, okay. this happened at the time. Um, but unfortunately, um, long road ahead of them, the prosecution attorney decided that there just wasn't enough evidence and the case wasn't strong enough. What? Even though they have forensic evidence of the fingerprint. Yeah. They struck a plea agreement with the defense attorneys. So even though Randall snuck into the tent of innocent hikers and brutally murdered them, he would simply serve 15 years in prison. That is seven and a half years for each murder. Randall served his time and walked right out of jail in 1996. Whoa. Like nothing even happened. He goes back to the community that he had completely shaken and moves back into his mother's house. He's only 42 years old at this point, without a doubt, young enough to commit even more atrocious murders. Oh, yeah. For a long time. For a long, long time. A lot. Randall became obsessive about the Appalachian Trail and spent hours in the mountains. One day, he walked that trail and never came back. Understandably, this concerned the authorities, and they immediately started hanging missing persons flyers. This would end up being the same flyer that Scott Johnston saw when he confirmed Randall as his shooter. Oh. So, um, how much time between this and when... So, so he walked out of his house in 1996. Okay. I think he was living in the mountains for a while. And then remind me what year this... The murders happened in... No, the murders happened in 1981. Yes, but then he got released. And then he wandered out of his home in 1996. Yeah. And then he murdered or attempted to murder Scott and Sean in 2008. 2008, okay. Yeah, so there was like a, there was some time between. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been missing since... He was missing for a while, but they still had the flyers. The fact that this grandpa is like... Wow. It's impressive. Yeah. So I guess if you see that poster, every time you go to this little convenience store or whatever, like, yeah. Yeah. Tom Lawson is still bitter about Randall's sentencing to this day. He said, was I the reason why two other people now are assaulted by this person that I should have put away 27 years ago? By the grace of God... They are not dead. I could have been living with four murders now instead of two. So Tom Lawson used to, he works, he investigated the case from decades ago, but he now works for the jail. Okay. So there was like a nice full circle moment. Okay. So 27 years later, Tom Lawson was able to put Randall Lee Smith behind bars once again. This time he was charged with two counts of attempted murder. Yeah. Just one day after arriving to jail, Randall died alone in his cell. What? Like what? <sighs> Infuriating to me. So even though Tom <sighs> Lawson is frustrated that he never got the opportunity to question Randall about why he did the horrible things that he did. Yeah. He has found peace that he died where he should have, which Definitely. is in jail. Yeah. And that is the absolutely incredible survival story of Scott Johnston and Sean Farmer. Wow. I just think it's nuts that he shoots these people in their chest, back, cheek, head. And then he's the one that dies because he took their stolen car, flipped the car and basically sustained injuries that he yeah. can recover from. Yeah. He's probably not in you know the great of, greatest condition because he's been living in Clearly, the woods. did you see what he looked like? Obviously. Gaunt. Yeah. Very gaunt. And gaunt, then these two gaunt, healthy gaunt. men 
Yeah. It's absolutely insane. So that wow. is that is the story. Good for Scott and Sean. And they just seem like the nicest men. Like when yeah. you they're like so wholesome exactly like like the good type of good old boys. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The good type of good, good old boys. The good type. There's there's a good and bad. We all yeah. know that. Yes. Yes. They seem like gentlemen. So is this I have a question. Yes. Last night you said would you ever go camping? And I thought you wanted to go camping because yeah. you just got back from like a trip at the river. Kern River, baby. So I, but like, did you have that in your mind when you asked me? You know, I, I want to say yes, but that's not the case. Oh. I had enjoyed my time by the river so much. And I'm like, you know what? The four of us should do it. We should go camping. <sighs> you shot that idea down quick. I just flat out said no. And I would never confirms- go camping. Yeah, no. I hate 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 camping mm-hmm. i hate it you hate it i despise camping i love you could the not idea. pay me you couldn't pay me a few mil a few mil could do it but who's gonna pay me a few mil to go camping armed oh i was gonna say armed forces surrounding the tent a few million you're good oh i mean if no I'm, one needs it that bad for you to do that but no I, there's no one out there who's like she needs to go camping so bad no i i hate it so much it's so much work it's mm-hmm. not enjoyable it's like the bathroom in the middle of the night and then me having to put my contacts on with dirty hands are like my biggest yeah. concerns i will not do it cannot do it no. other than that sitting around the campfire looking at the stars the good stuff but like we have a fire pit in the backyard and it's we have running different. water inside the house and bathrooms. You can we, wash your hands and then put your then fingers in your eyes. That's very true. We could always get a hotel and then go to the campsite, sit around the fire, which is what I did. And then okay. we just went back to the hotel and I rinsed off. So okay. that's ideal. Yeah. I mean, but there's also like just, there's just nice resorts that have fire pits that you could go sit at. Yeah. And they could still be in like a mountainous range. That is true. Or whatever. I guess my, my mental thing is just like it's the simple like the simplicity of it's nice but i guess i'll settle for a five-star hotel with you okay sounds fine twist my arm yeah right i'll do it okay uh-huh yeah um i would go glamping i would like i've heard a lot of i've seen a lot of stuff on instagram about glamping yeah. and i assume they have bathrooms i really want to go to ventana big sur if you're listening to this I'm manifesting that trip and oh. it's like a $1,500 a night glamping experience. So Is you it? know it's good. Ventana and Big Sur, that's where um, Ghislaine's got married. Yes. But when I looked at it last, it was a very, it was very expensive. It was like one of those hotels that say um, like request price. Ugh. So you know it's, I hate you know that, it's a lot. You know, I'm just like, ugh. I'm like not even going to bother. It's so out of my. If it's not 275 range. a night, Mm-mm. I'm not going to even bother. But yeah, it's Is really that expensive. what you pay a night at your hotels? Is that your is that your limit or your no. or your no your it cap two seventy five? It depends on the occasion. I'll go more if it's a special it's a special occasion. But if I could pick one, it would be less than two seventy five. Obviously. Well, duh. Yeah. yeah, I haven't taken a sip of my wine yet. I know you blew through your story, and I kept looking at your glass. It's like so full. It was riveting. It was. It really. It was. If I do say so myself. I, confidence. I had a lot more than you. All I had to do was relax. I'm very excited for your story next week. You seem very excited about it. Yeah. Which means I'm excited about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's like, it's heavy, mm-hmm. but what else is new? They're all heavy, yes. but it's heavy in like a, I'll give a big warning. There's a, it requires a big trigger, trigger warning. warning. So I'll give a, I'll give a fair heads up. Okay. I don't want to tell you what it is right now, but I'll. Anyways. Yeah. Well, it's time to get to this, uh, this wine. Okay. Cheers. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. For all of our detailed source material, please visit our website, thecrimebarpodcast.com. If you'd like to see content from today, you can find us on Instagram and YouTube at Crime Bar Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, which we have linked on our website as well as our Instagram, patreon.com slash crimebarpodcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Anna Katharina. We'll see you next week.